This morning, um, <coughs> I'm going to approach things maybe a little different than uh, I have. Um, just come, okay, well, we'll start out and see where it goes. How about that? So we've often spoke about Daniel and uh, of his past and the things, you know, being taken, how he went. He was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and taken to the, to the city of Babylon for the Babylonian Empire and Nebuchadnezzar, who was this great uh, king. Well, I have uh, some pictures, hopefully, Terry, we was able to find them, of the Babylon that perhaps Daniel was taken to. Now, the, the Babylon is, you know, again, where the Tower of Babel was, and the people, the languages were split up and people took off in different directions. But the city still remained. There were people who stayed in the city. And eventually it became the city of Babylon, the city of power. And also Nebuchadnezzar, who was the, the king of Babylon. So it was a sprawling, heavily populated city. It was probably one of the largest cities of its time. And this kind of gives you a little rendition of where Daniel was taken. And there's a lot of gold and statues and things that uh, the king has put together and the um, the Euphrates I think it's the Euphrates River runs through it and he and this is the hanging gardens a, a rendition of what it might have looked like it was one of the ancient wonders of the world and these blue and lions the gold lions that he had bricks um, what is it uh, I forgot the word glazed with uh, gl bricks glazed with blue and then the gold for the lions, and he was, gen he was considered the lion. But then um, that's the hanging gardens that, you know, how they had to get water to it, I don't know. But they, they got it up there. And is there some more? This is the um, corridor or the walkway into the city, uh, into um, Nebuchadnezzar's palace and um, the things that he had built. And it was, it was a vast city. And there, Marduk was their god, uh, great, you know, they worshipped him. And the, the, the thing with Babylon is that it was considered the seat of where wickedness stemmed from, you know, that the, the, the idol worship and things like that uh, uh, stemmed from Babylon. So when the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah with their sin and their wickedness and they were destroyed, so there was also an outcry against Babylon because of its sin and its, um, its degradation. So the, the decades following um, Daniel and um, we had the, the Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great, he comes in, while the Medes and the Persians, the Medes, you know, when Daniel sees the handwriting on the wall at the end, you know, the, towards the end of the book of Daniel, that's whenever the Medes come in and conquer Babylon. And so that begins its decline, and it declines over many years. If you may <laughs> remember a guy named Saddam Hussein, <laughs> he had his palace. He thought, I didn't realize this, he thought that he was a reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar. And he built his palace on the outskirts of what would have been the um, city of Babylon. And he built this huge uh, mound and then he had his palace. You know, we've all seen, when, maybe remember back whenever they raided the palace and how beautiful and opulent it was. Well, it was at the top of a high mound that overlooked everything in the whole region. So it was, you know, he was, <laughs> he was Nebuchadnezzar. 
And he started a, a, a renovation or a excavation of Babylon. And so he, tr he was trying to rebuild the city of Babylon. And it was interesting, um, if you, from the archaeological things, that Nebuchadnezzar stamped the bricks that he put in all, you know, he had an ego, he had his name on all the bricks in the entire city. Well, Saddam Hussein, not to be outdone, had his name stamped on all the bricks he redid. So if you see in, um, well, this is kind of looking at what's left of, of, the, uh, of, uh, of Babylon. The, even the excavations, there, there might be some pictures of um, some of the area being uh, rebuilt, the corridor uh, Saddam was putting together and rebuilding. He put millions and millions of dollars into this, this renovation. But the important thing that I'm looking at here is, uh, and we have an outline, even to this day, this is some of the excavations and rebuilding that Saddam has done, uh, that he did, and it's just why it's there with nothing in it. And I want to read some things pointing to how that we had prophecy from, we'll read from Isaiah chapter 13. Babylon, the jewel of the kingdoms, the pride and glory of the Babylonians, will be overthrown by God, like Sodom and Gomorrah. She will never be inhabited or lived in through all generations. There no nomads will pitch their tents. There no shepherds will rest their flocks. But desert creatures will lie there. Jackals fill their houses. Owls will fill their dwelling. And there will wild goats leap about. And hyenas will inhabit her strongholds. Jackals her luxurious palace. In time, and her time is at hand and her days will not be prolonged. So Isaiah wrote this about 700 to 680 B.C. And so this is before Daniel. So this is before Daniel's time, and um, Isaiah is, is prophesying the end of Babylon. Now, at the time, it's flourishing. It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big city. There's lots of commerce. There's lots of good, you know, lots of... Uh, things going on in the city. And Jeremiah, he did the same thing. In Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 35, a sword against the Babylonians, declares the Lord, against those who live in Babylon and against her officials and wise men. A sword against her false prophets, they will become fools. A sword against her warriors, they will be filled with terror. A sword against her horses and chariots and all the foreigners in her ranks. They will become weaklings, a sword against her treasures, they will be plundered. A drought on her waters, they will dry up. For it is a land of idols, idols that will go, idols that will go mad with terror. So desert creatures and hyenas will live there, and there the owl will dwell, and it will never again be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation. And that is, that is Jeremiah's prophecy. Now, so what does this have to do with Daniel? Well, if we look at Daniel and we look at his um, life, and he's been, he's been taken to Babylon, and, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is rising to power, and so, he, you know, he's conquering uh, Assyria. He's, you know, it's just like going from, uh, it's like a sea, <laughs> because if you go, go from Jerusalem to Babylon, it's across the big desert. They, they didn't do that, so... It's like going up the river 
um, Euphrates and then across and down by the Mediterranean Sea and down into Judah and down into Israel. So they, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has done this. It's about a thousand miles between Babylon and Jerusalem, you know, <laughs> taking the, the route. <laughs> and so um, Daniel would have been taken about the age of 15. Uh, he would have been taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, if we see how that Babylon, if we can go back to the pictures where it's destroyed, you have that? There's no inhabitants. If they're in, in like, in from 1898 to 1919, there was a German uh, architect, not an architect, archaeologist, who spent his time looking for the walls of, Jeru uh, walls of Babylon. And they are marked out on, on some pictures. And inside the walls of Babylon, there is not one tent, not one city, not one dwelling. All around the walls of Babylon, including Saddam Hussein's at the, his palace, at the far end of it, not, nothing dwells there but jackals, hyenas, you know, wild beasts, no one, and, and the city, the, the towns around it are right up to the wall, but no one lives in it to this day. And it's according to the prophecy given by Isaiah and given by Jeremiah. So whenever you, you start putting together, well, what is the weight? What is the effect of biblical prophecy? What does it mean for people to believe in the word? See, we believe in the word. We believe the scriptures. We believe that when God makes promises, he's able to keep them. Well, in the same token, he made these declarations, these prophecies through these prophets, what was going to happen to Babylon. Now, in the time that they were making these prophecies, that was like the furthest thing go from their minds. It's an opulent, powerful city with, you know, gold and buildings and the hanging gardens and you know the, it's the wealth of the world flows through through Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar but it only lasted about a hundred years and, it, and then it fell so when we were looking at Daniel Daniel arrives at Babylon chapter one of Daniel and we find that he spent oh if he's 15 he spends 85 years until the end of uh, the, the captivity. And if you read the book of Daniel, we have a, a number of things going on. We have his, his introduction and, the, as it were, the common things. We look at common things, you know, prophecies, prophesying, um, interpreting dreams, things like that. We have all that going on. And, you know, the writing on the wall when the Medes and the Persians are coming. Daniel was, he, he used his abilities used what God had given him, and he was a high-ranking official, not only in the Babylonian Empire, but in the Medes and the Persian Empires. <laughs> he, he just transferred right over his positions because he was so far above everyone else. So Daniel chapter 1, beginning uh, at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So that was their way, you know, they didn't go in and uh, sometimes they had those catapults and stuff. I don't think, I don't know if they'd been invented at that time. 
But what these armies did was they would go and encamp around the city, starve it to death. <laughs> so, and that's what he did. Excuse me. He, um, he, Nebuchadnezzar went there, his armies, they, be, they put a siege on the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem surrenders. So we find in verse 3, Then the king ordered uh, Aspenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. So Nebuchadnezzar, his way of um, conquering and bringing people in, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, was it uh, migrating them in, immigrating them into the culture, was to take them from their homes, bring them to Babylon. And you can see from the pictures how big Babylon is. And I think there was somewhere around 23,000 people that he took from Jerusalem to Babylon. A thousand mile journey. They got on the camel train. <laughs> the donkey train. Uh, foot, foot train. Somehow they made it to Babylon, and they made this trip of a thousand miles, but uh, Aspenaz, who was this overseer for, the, for King Nebuchadnezzar, was to take, go and look over the people from, that he took out of Jerusalem and pick out the best people. Now, they not only did this to the, to the Hebrews, but they did it to all the lands that they conquered. So they would take the brightest and the best of every culture, Nebuchadnezzar, and he would bring them into the palace, bring them into the court, and he would train them. So, verse 4, with young men without any physical defects, handsome, you know, I could have went in that group. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> they laughed, you know, it's good, you know. I just wanted to make sure they were paying attention. Uh, they showed aptitude in every kind of learning. Well, that left me out. Well, well informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve the king's palace. So he was to teach them the language, the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to train for three years. Okay, it's like going to college. <laughs> They were to train for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Well, among those individuals, this is verse 6, were, were chosen were from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. Daniel's name was Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he gave um, to Hananiah, his name was Shadrach. To Mishael was Meshach. And Azariah was Abednego. Well, verse 8 is the important one here. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So Daniel, he's 15 years old, 1,000 miles away from home. He's in a foreign country, in a foreign palace, and with a bunch of other foreigners, people he has no idea, perhaps no idea who they are, or what language they speak, and they are all there under the king's orders, and they are there to, okay, you've got to eat this food. Daniel says, no, nope, I'm not going to do it, because he was aware that the king and, and the food processing was about uh, offering up every animal that was killed. They offered it to their gods. 
And again, Babylon was kind of the seat of uh, idol worship and the seat of where that all spread from. So um, Daniel said, nope, not going to eat of it. So he, uh, now God had caused the officials to show favor and compassion to Daniel. What's that sound like? Divine favor. Daniel had God's divine favor on his life. You and I have God's divine favor on our life. We have favor with God and man. Daniel had that very same thing. He had favor with God and man. And so he was, he was able to look at this, and it wasn't like he dug in his heels and, you know, I'm not doing this. He, he, you know, Daniel was a very wise. He said, I'm afraid my, of my, and, and he says, I don't want to, I don't want to eat this stuff. And the king's official says, you've got to, or they're going to kill me. <laughs> so Daniel came up with a, came up with a test. How, and let me eat vegetables. Now, it, it's more than just fruits and vegetables. He's grains and barleys and, you know, wheat and barley, things like that. So anything that was not offered to the idols, Daniel set up that he and his three friends, that's all that they would eat. And at the end of 10 days, they were, you know, he did a test. He said, okay, you don't have to, you don't have to, just do a test on us. I'll be your guinea pig. This is what we want to do. This is what we feel is right for us. You do this, and if we're not any better than the rest of them, okay, then we'll, then we'll eat what everybody else does. But if we are, you've got to help us maintain this diet. So at the end of the 10 days, what happened? They were much better than the rest. Verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge, understanding, and all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. We find that they strived to be faithful to God, and they saw the difficulties that were in front of them. They were in a foreign land, foreign country, foreign leaders, foreign um, principles, new way of living, and they said, give us a test to prove that this is how we should live. And because Daniel said, we, we can't eat these, but give us a test, what happens is when we may keep our stance, our stand for God, we don't have to be in people's face. We can do it with wisdom and understanding. And what happens is that the divine favor that was <laughs> exhibited earlier continues to develop or evolve through this, through the life of Daniel so that he has, God blesses him with understanding in all kinds of literature and learning. He's a brilliant guy. He make Einstein look, you know, like a Sunday school teacher. Like a preacher. <laughs> he make, you know, they were brilliant. And now, and this was, um, you take, take into consideration, every, every um, royal family and court that Nebuchadnezzar conquered, he took the best of that country, the best of those families, the best of their, uh, the elite of their elite of their society, brought them in, and they're all in the classroom with Daniel and the, and the three Hebrew children. <coughs> so, and verse uh, 20, 
In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned him, he found them ten times better than all of the others in his kingdom. We find that God has a way of the favor being shown upon our life with people. We stand in our relationship with Christ, the foundation, our rock. We find that God will give us understanding and bless us, and we'll find that we are much better off <laughs> than even those who are around us, who are all part of a, seemingly part of the same class, we end up overachieving and becoming greater in that. And so uh, God honors our commitment. You see, they stood, they stood healthier and um, unafraid before the king. Three years they did this, they learned. You see, they didn't sit back and say, okay, God, you do it, I'm here. No, they applied themselves to all the literature and the learning and so on, and we find that they were ten times smarter. Um, chapter 2. Now, challenge. Whenever we are presented with difficulties, when, when, the, um, when the leadership doesn't know where to go, <laughs> where do they go for, uh, for, for leadership? Where do they go for understanding and counsel? They'll generally find you. People who have, uh, th they have a need for um, you know, advancing in their field or having problems solved or whatever, it's, it's something that is in front of them and they don't know how to interpret it. I, I often, I don't, I don't think anybody remembers, but I remember whenever we were building the research institute at the, at the hospital, I told them, I, I said, this research facility, I believe, is going to be something that affects the entire world. They laughed at me, basically. Okay, thanks, Dreamer. <laughs> Something that affects the entire world. And you know what? It does. Because of the research that's done here, it's connected with the research in California and the research around the world in dealing with cancer and the treatment of cancer, a lot of that is coming, uh, some of that is coming out of Wimber. And the, even the development of the he human genome, part of that came from from Wimber. So, now, I, you know, I just felt that that was what was needed to be said. And so I would say it. You know, where did that come from? Well, that, you know, I, I think it was what God implanted in my heart. But I think each of you have done the same thing with people ask advice. People ask questions. We give them answers or we give them a scenario of what, what decisions to make. We find that that's the wisdom of God and what God is doing through you. Well, in chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream. <laughs> and, you know, kings are, I don't know any kings, but kings are a little different. He, he figured out that all of his wise men were uh, just using him, basically. And so he said, I had a dream. Tell me what it was and tell me what its meaning is. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good deal. You know, I was thinking a thought. Tell me what my thought is and what its meaning is. All right, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> you know, fill me in on what it was. I'll tell you if you're right. Well, nobody could figure it out, so the king says, kill them all. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah. So they are headed out to kill, um, um, kill the, all the wise men, and they come to Daniel. And when um, Arioch, uh, the commander of the king's guard, he spoke with Daniel, and Daniel says, why are you, you going to kill everybody? He says, well, nobody knows what the dream is. And so Daniel goes to the king and says, hey, king, you know, give us a few minutes, and we'll figure this out. God will tell us. And um, one of the things is that the wise men for the king says, no one can do this but a god, but God. And no, there's no gods among us. Uh, well, Daniel urges them to have some time. Of course, Daniel, God reveals to him what the dream was and what the meaning of the dream was. And what's Daniel's first response? Praise be to the name of God, this verse 20. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and delights, and, li and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God, for of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. You see, when you don't know what to do, pray. And then when you receive the answer, give thanks. <laughs> give thanks. That's what Daniel, that's what this whole scenario is there. He's giving thanks to God. Well, Daniel, in verse 27, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery that he has. No one can do this. And look where Daniel goes. He says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. There's a God in heaven who reveals this. Daniel doesn't take any of the credit. He says, it's all about the God whom I serve. Remember, 15 years old, in a foreign country, he's making his stand for God. He comes out 10 times smarter than everybody else. When people can't come up with an answer, God reveals it to his, to his prophet. And so, um, verse 31, Your majesty looked, and there before him stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head was the stat uh, set of the statue was pure gold. And we know that the interpretation of that was Babylon. You're the king, you're the head, you're the gold. Your chest of silver, well, Mede and Persians, arms, two arms, chest of silver, Mede and Persian Empire. We know that that was true. Um, belly of bronze, the Greek Empire, Alexander. The legs of iron, the Roman Empire. And then uh, the feet were iron and clay, kind of like the modern Europe. Strength and weakness, it, it all together. And then there was a rock that was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Jesus, the rock of our salvation, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the bringing of the kingdom of God to the world of man. Christ returns, the rock that, sta that smashes the feet of everything that man was able to build 
the empires that man was able to build. Christ has come and established a kingdom that, what does it do? It is throughout the whole earth. You read the end of the book of Revelation, God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And so that rock, and you find it, Daniel sees this. What, 2,400, 700 years ago, Daniel sees this. Now, go back to Isaiah, Jeremiah. They saw Babylon being nothing, wiped out, not, an, not, not a person living within the boundaries of Babylon. And they were right. Daniel sees the rock cut out and smashing, the, smashing this image, crumbling it, and, and at its you know, weakest point, iron and clay, humankind trying to establish their powers and to rule over God. And we find that it doesn't work. So for us, we need to see how that the kingdom of God is about, the fav- about God and God's favor upon our lives. And as we serve him, we don't have to be pushy about our faith, but we need to put it to the test. And whenever we put it to the test, we know that God will bless. And we will be ten times smarter. (laughs) Well, whatever. (laughs) We will be much better able, but God can make it ten times smarter, than all of the others because we'll have wisdom and insight that other people don't have. That's God's divine favor. And we find that as the kings of this world are able to do what they do, still there's going to be the hand of God, the rock of God, Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. We'll come back, you know, with (laughs) riding the white horse, leading the thousands of his saints, you know, conquering mankind with the word of his mouth and establishing his kingdom forever and ever. Daniel saw it, and it will happen because it was a message from God. And God will do that in our lives. Favor, wisdom and understanding, guidance, and in every situation, we give thanks to God for his answers. Amen? Amen. So, do we need to see the ruin again? (laughs) Because Daniel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah saw that. When it was a flourishing kingdom, they saw that happening. Daniel in Babylon, whenever the the opulent Babylon, we have that one? Anything that showed the beautiful, there, there, the opulent Babylon, Daniel sees that, and he talks about, the whole place coming to an end. So what you see from your heart and your spirit makes all the difference because that's the direction of our life. Amen? Be wise. (laughs) Be strong. Be very courageous. God will bless, heal, restore. He will honor his promise. No matter what you see, There's a promise in your heart that is greater than what we see. And that's what Daniel, Daniel was able to see that and understand it. Thank you, Father, for your word, your life, your gifts, your promises. We thank you for how you watch over and keep us. We thank you for your divine provisions. We are grateful for your blessings. 
we're grateful that we can be 10 times smarter in, in wisdom and intelligence and understanding. And Lord, you can open these thoughts to our hearts and minds because we are your child. We are your, <laughs> your prophets. We foretell your word, foretell your word, and foretell the future. You're coming again. And Lord, we thank you for these promises and this wisdom, guidance, and power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.